chapter one part two of a popular history of astronomy during the nineteenth century this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a popular history of astronomy during the nineteenth century by agnes mary clark part one chapter one foundation of sidereal astronomy part two we have now to speak of herschel's pioneering work in the skies to explore with line and plummet the shining zone of the milky way to delineate its form measure its dimensions and search out the intricacies of its construction was the primary task of his life which he never lost sight of and to which all his other investigations were subordinate he was absolutely alone in this bold endeavour unaided he had to devise methods accumulate materials and sift out results yet it may safely be asserted that all the knowledge we possess on this sublime subject was prepared and the greater part of it anticipated by him the ingenious method of star gauging and its issue in the delineation of the sidereal system as an irregular stratum of evenly scattered suns is the best-known part of his work but it was in truth only a first rude approximation the principle of which maintained its credit in the literature of astronomy a full half-century after its abandonment by its author this principle was the general equality of star distribution if equal portions of space really held equal numbers of stars it is obvious that the number of stars visible in any particular direction would be strictly proportional to the range of the system in that direction apparent accumulation being produced by real extent the process of gauging the heavens accordingly consisted in counting the stars in successive telescopic fields and calculating thence the depths of space necessary to contain them the result of three thousand four hundred such operations was the plan of the galaxy familiar to every reader of an astronomical textbook widely varying evidence was as might have been expected derived from an examination of different portions of the sky some fields of view were almost blank while others in or near the milky way blazed with the radiance of many hundred stars compressed into an area about one-fourth that of the full moon in the most crowded parts one hundred and sixteen thousand were stated to have been passed in review within a quarter of an hour here the length of his sounding line was estimated by herschel at about four hundred and ninety-seven times the distance of sirius in other words the bounding orb or farthest sun of the system in that direction so far as could be seen with the twenty-foot reflector was thus inconceivably remote but since the distance of sirius no less than of every other fixed star was as yet an unknown quantity the dimensions inferred for the galaxy were of course purely relative a knowledge of its form and structure might admitting the truth of the fundamental hypothesis be obtained but its real or absolute size remained altogether undetermined even as early as seventeen eighty five however herschel perceived 
traces of a tendency which completely invalidated the supposition of any approach to an average uniformity of distribution this was the action of what he called a clustering power in the milky way many gathering clusters were already discernible to him even while he endeavoured to obtain a true mean result on the assumption that each star in space was separated from its neighbours as widely as the sun from sirius it appears he wrote in seventeen eighty nine that the heavens consist of regions where suns are gathered into separate systems and in certain assemblages he was able to trace a course or tide of stars setting towards a centre denoting not doubtfully the presence of attractive forces thirteen years later he described our sun and his constellated companions as surrounded by a magnificent collection of innumerable stars called the milky way which must occasion a very powerful balance of opposite attractions to hold the intermediate stars at rest for though our sun and all the stars we see may truly be said to be in the plane of the milky way yet i am now convinced by a long inspection and continued examination of it that the milky way itself consists of stars very differently scattered from those which are immediately about us this immense aggregation he added is by no means uniform its component stars show evident signs of clustering together into many separate allotments the following sentences written in eighteen eleven contain a definite retraction of the view frequently attributed to him i must freely confess he says that by continuing my sweeps of the heavens my opinion of the arrangement of the stars and their magnitudes and of some other particulars has undergone a gradual change and indeed when the novelty of the subject is considered we cannot be surprised that many things formerly taken for granted should on examination prove to be different from what they were generally but incautiously supposed to be for instance an equal scattering of the stars may be admitted in certain calculations but when we examine the milky way or the closely compressed clusters of stars of which my catalogues have recorded so many instances this supposed equality of scattering must be given up another assumption the fallacy of which he had not the means of detecting since become available was retained by him to the end of his life it was that the brightness of a star afforded an approximate measure of its distance upon this principle he founded in eighteen seventeen his method of limiting apertures by which two stars brought into view in two precisely similar telescopes were equalized by covering a certain portion of the object-glass collecting the more brilliant rays the distances of the orbs compared were then taken to be in the ratio of the reduced to the original apertures of the instruments with which they were examined if indeed the absolute lustre of each were the same the result might be accepted with confidence but since we have no warrant for assuming a standard star to facilitate our computations but much reason to suppose an indefinite range not only of size but of intrinsic brilliancy in the suns of our firmament 
conclusions drawn from such a comparison are entirely worthless in another branch of sidereal science besides that of stellar aggregation herschel may justly be styled a pioneer he was the first to bestow serious study on the enigmatical objects known as nebulae the history of the acquaintance of our race with them is comparatively short the only one recognized before the invention of the telescope was that in the girdle of andromeda certainly familiar in the middle of the tenth century to the persian astronomer abdurrahman al-sufi and marked with dots on spanish and dutch constellation charts of the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries yet so little was it noticed that it might practically be said as far as europe is concerned to have been discovered in sixteen twelve by simon marius mayor of genzenhausen who aptly described its appearance as that of a candle shining through horn the first mention of the great orion nebula is by a swiss jesuit named cysatus who succeeded father Scheiner in the chair of mathematics at ingolstadt he used it apparently without any suspicion of its novelty as a term of comparison for the comet of december sixteen eighteen a novelty nevertheless to astronomers it still remained in sixteen fifty six when huygens discerned as it were an hiatus in the sky affording a glimpse of a more luminous region beyond halley in seventeen sixteen knew of six nebulae which he believed to be composed of a lucid medium diffused through the ether of space he appears however to have been unacquainted with some previously noticed by helvelius lacaille brought back with him from the cape a list of forty-two the first fruits of observation in southern skies arranged in three numerically equal classes and messier nicknamed by louis the fifteenth the ferret of comets finding such objects a source of extreme perplexity in the pursuit of his chosen game attempted to eliminate by methodizing them and drew up a catalogue comprising in seventeen eighty one one hundred and three entries these preliminary attempts shrank into insignificance when herschel began to sweep the heavens with his giant telescopes in seventeen eighty six he presented to the royal society a descriptive catalogue of one thousand nebulae and clusters followed three years later by a second of as many more to which he added in eighteen o two a further gleaning of five hundred on the subject of their nature his views underwent a remarkable change finding that his potent instruments resolved into stars many nebulous patches in which no signs of such a structure had previously been discernible he naturally concluded that resolvability was merely a question of distance and telescopic power he was as he said himself led on by almost imperceptible degrees from evident clusters such as the pleiades to spots without a trace of stellar formation the gradations being so well connected as to leave no doubt that all these phenomena were equally stellar the singular variety of their appearance was thus described by him i have seen he says double and treble nebulae variously arranged large ones with small seeming attendants 
narrow but much extended lucid nebulae or bright dashes some of the shape of a fan resembling an electric brush issuing from a lucid point others of the cometic shape with a seeming nucleus in the centre or like cloudy stars surrounded with a nebulous atmosphere a different sort again contain a nebulosity of the milky kind like that wonderful inexplicable phenomenon about theta orionis while others shine with a fainter mottled kind of light which denotes their being resolvable into stars these curious objects he considered to be no less than whole sidereal systems some of which might well outvie our milky way in grandeur he admitted however a wide diversity in condition as well as compass the system to which our sun belongs he described as a very extensive branching congeries of many millions of stars which probably owes its origin to many remarkably large as well as pretty closely scattered small stars that may have drawn together the rest but the continued action of this same clustering power would he supposed eventually lead to the breaking up of the original majestic galaxy into two or three hundred separate groups already visibly gathering such minor nebulae due to the decay of other branching nebulae similar to our own he recognized by the score lying as it were stratified in certain quarters of the sky one of these nebulous beds he informs us is so rich that in passing through a section of it in the time of only thirty-six minutes i detected no less than thirty-one nebulae all distinctly visible upon a fine blue sky the stratum of coma berenices he judged to be the nearest to our system of such layers nor did the marked aggregation of nebulae towards both poles of the circle of the milky way escape his notice by a continuation of the same process of reasoning he was enabled as he thought to trace the life history of nebulae from a primitive loose and extended formation through clusters of gradually increasing compression down to the kind named by him planetary because of the defined and uniform disks which they present these he regarded as very aged and drawing on towards a period of change or dissolution this method of viewing the heavens he concluded seems to throw them into a new kind of light they now are seen to resemble a luxuriant garden which contains the greatest variety of productions in different flourishing beds and one advantage we may at least reap from it is that we can as it were extend the range of our experience to an immense duration for to continue the simile which i have borrowed from the vegetable kingdom is it not almost the same thing whether we live successively to witness the germination blooming foliage fecundity fading withering and corruption of a plant or whether a vast number of specimens selected from every stage through which the plant passes in the course of its existence be brought at once to our view but already this supposed continuity was broken after mature deliberation on the phenomena presented by nebulous stars herschel was induced in seventeen ninety one to modify essentially his original opinion 
when i pursued these researches he says i was in the situation of a natural philosopher who follows the various species of animals and insects from the height of their perfection down to the lowest ebb of life when arriving at the vegetable kingdom he can scarcely point out to us the precise boundary where the animal ceases and the plant begins and may even go so far as to suspect them not to be essentially different but recollecting himself he compares for instance one of the human species to a tree and all doubt upon the subject vanishes before him in the same manner we pass through gentle steps from a coarse cluster of stars such as the pleiades till we find ourselves brought to an object such as the nebula in orion where we are still inclined to remain in the once adopted idea of stars exceedingly remote and inconceivably crowded as being the occasion of that remarkable appearance it seems therefore to require a more dissimilar object to set us right again a glance like that of the naturalist who casts his eye from the perfect animal to the perfect vegetable is wanting to remove the veil from the mind of the astronomer the object i have mentioned above is the phenomenon that was wanting for this purpose view for instance the nineteenth cluster of my sixth class and afterwards cast your eye on this cloudy star and the result will be no less decisive than that of the naturalist we have alluded to our judgment i may venture to say will be that the nebulosity about the star is not of a starry nature the conviction thus arrived at of the existence in space of a widely diffused shining fluid a conviction long afterwards fully justified by the spectroscope led him into a field of endless speculation what was its nature should it be compared to the coruscation of the electric fluid in the aurora borealis or to the more magnificent cone of the zodiacal light above all what was its function in the cosmos and on this point he already gave a hint of the direction in which his mind was moving by the remark that this self-luminous matter seemed more fit to produce a star by its condensation than to depend on the star for its existence this was not a novel idea tycho brahe had tried to explain the blaze of the star of fifteen seventy two as due to a sudden concentration of nebulous material in the milky way even pointing out the space left dark and void by the withdrawal of the luminous stuff and kepler theorizing on a similar stellar apparition in sixteen o four followed nearly in the same track but under herschel's treatment the nebular origin of stars first acquired the consistency of a formal theory he meditated upon it long and earnestly and in two elaborate treatises published respectively in eighteen eleven and eighteen fourteen he at length set forth the arguments in its favour these rested entirely upon the principle of continuity between the successive classes of his assortment of developing objects there was as he said perhaps not so much difference as would be in an annual description of the human figure were it given from the birth of a child till he comes to be a man in his prime from diffused nebulosity barely visible in the most powerful light-gathering instruments but which he estimated to cover nearly 
one hundred and fifty two square degrees of the heavens to planetary nebulae supposed to be already centrally solid instances were alleged of every stage and phase of condensation the validity of his reasoning however was evidently impaired by his confessed inability to distinguish between the dim rays of remote clusters and the milky light of true gaseous nebulae it may be said that such speculations are futile in themselves and necessarily barren of results but they gratify an inherent tendency of the human mind and if pursued in a becoming spirit should be neither reproved nor disdained herschel's theory still holds the field the testimony of recent discoveries with regard to it having proved strongly confirmatory of its principle although not of its details strangely enough it seems to have been propounded in complete independence of laplace's nebular hypothesis as to the origin of the solar system indeed it dated as we have seen in its first inception from seventeen ninety one while the french geometrician's view was not advanced until seventeen ninety six we may now briefly sum up the chief results of herschel's long years of watching the heavens the apparent motions of the stars had been disentangled one portion being clearly shown to be due to a translation towards a point in the constellation hercules of the sun and his attendant planets while a large balance of displacement was left to be accounted for by real movements various in extent and direction of the stars themselves by the action of a central force similar to if not identical with gravity suns of every degree of size and splendor and sometimes brilliantly contrasted in color were seen to be held together in systems consisting of two three four even six members whose revolutions exhibited a wide range of variety both in period and in orbital form a new department of physical astronomy was thus created and rigid calculation for the first time made possible within the astral region the vast problem of the arrangement and relations of the millions of stars forming the milky way was shown to be capable of experimental treatment and of at least partial solution notwithstanding the variety and complexity seen to prevail to an extent previously undreamt of in the arrangement of that majestic system the existence of a luminous fluid diffused through enormous tracts of space and intimately associated with stellar bodies was virtually demonstrated and its place and use in creation attempted to be divined by a bold but plausible conjecture change on a stupendous scale was inferred or observed to be everywhere in progress periodical stars shone out and again decayed progressive ebbings or flowings of light were indicated as probable in many stars under no formal suspicion of variability forces were everywhere perceived to be at work by which the very structure of the heavens themselves must be slowly but fundamentally modified in all directions groups were seen to be formed or forming tides and streams of suns to be setting towards powerful centres of attraction new systems to be in process of formation while effete ones hastened to decay or regeneration when the course appointed for them by infinite wisdom was run 
and thus to quote the words of the observer who had looked farther into space than ever human being did before him the state into which the incessant action of the clustering power has brought the milky way at present is a kind of chronometer that may be used to measure the time of its past and future existence and although we do not know the rate of going of this mysterious chronometer it is nevertheless certain that since the breaking up of the parts of the milky way affords a proof that it cannot last for ever it equally bears witness that its past duration cannot be admitted to be infinite end of part one Chapter 1, Part 2